<laughs> Hi, I'm Jim. It's so good to see you guys this morning. Pastor Farrell kicked off a series last week that he simply is calling Gear Up. He's doing a men's conference in Tennessee this weekend, and he asked me to do my best to fill in, and so I'm going to do my best as we continue to learn about the armor of God. i got to be honest with you, though, right up front, that I think there might have been a mix-up in the schedule somehow or other, as honored as I am to be a part of this, because uh, next week, Pastor Farrell is going to be talking about the helmet of salvation, and I'm talking about uh, feet shod with the gospel of peace today. And I don't know if you see a disconnect in that, but somehow Farrell's the one with all the shoes, (laughs) and I'm the one that still has my hair, So I think maybe we had them backwards. I don't know about you guys, but hear me. Whatever the order of the sermons, let's get serious. There's a real war going on for the souls of men. Can I get a witness in this house? Satan is our highly motivated enemy, and he's doing everything he can to undermine and tear down your life, your family's life, this great nation. But we are not, we are not, we are not called to cower in fear We are called to occupy till I come, is what Jesus said. And that word occupy in Matthew 25 is is in business terms, which means to make a profit. In military terms, it would mean to take territory. But whatever way you look at it, what perspective you look at it, either way, there is just too much at stake for us to go through the motions of church. There's just too much to be done. And can I be honest with you, right up front of the reasons that I love the bridge is because uh, whether you're talking about bridge to hope or you're talking about feeding the homeless or you're talking about uh, uh, ministering in the prisons or you're talking about uh, uh, just preaching the truth in weekend services, this is a church that's on the cutting edge of making a difference in our world. I think that's worth celebrating. Anybody want to celebrate what's going on in this great church? Amen. For that, for you, what that means is you don't have to live a defeated life. What that means is you don't have to settle for a superficial marriage. What that means is you don't have to live under a cloud of debt wondering if you'll ever get out from under this mess that you're in. You can win the war that Satan is trying to wage against you, and you can help others to win the war in their lives as well. That's something that we ought to just stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for who you are, we can win this war. But we also have to be aware of the fact that it is a very real war going on, and real wars have real casualties, which means we have to take it real serious. And that's why Pastor Farrell has led us into this series called Gear Up, where we're walking through the armor of God, and we're learning how to put on the armor of God week by week so that as we as a church family go out into this community and into this state, into this nation, into the world to make a difference in people's lives, as we occupy till he comes, as we take territory until Jesus comes, we're going out prepared for battle because he doesn't want any casualties. So let's get into it. The text verse for the series is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Maybe you brought a Bible or, or an iPad or an iPhone or something like that, but it's also going to be on the screens. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Here we go. Therefore, put on the what? The full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now, let's be clear about something right up front. When is the day of evil? In some ways, I guess it's the, when the culmination of all things come along, but the truth of the matter is the day of evil is right now. 
The day of evil is every decision you ever make, and Satan's whispering in your ear trying to get you to go one way, and the Holy Spirit's saying, no, that's not the safe way. That's not the way toward life. The day of evil is every moment of every day throughout our lives, and what is he saying to do when that day of evil comes so that you can stand your ground? You've got to put on the full armor of God. Paul simply saying is that you don't go into this battle unprepared or you'll end up like the sons of Sceva that Pastor Farrell talked about last week who jumped into this thing kind of frivolously, jumped into this battle unprepared, and as Farrell said, Satan kicked their butts. We don't want that. Instead, we want to take up the armor that's available to us, and when we do, we can stand our ground. So in this series, we're simply walking through verse by verse, element by element through the armors, learning about them, and then committing to putting them on. Hear me, learning about them will not prepare you for battle. Having this armor sitting on the shelf and and you dusting it once in a while because you now understand Ephesians 6 better than you used to is not going to prepare you for battle. you got to put this armor on. Somebody say, put this armor on. Come on, put this armor on. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. Let's just go get some brunch. What's the point, right? So, that said, understand that Paul is using the analogy of Roman soldiers and the army that they wore, so there's a physical description for each one of them, but there's also a powerful spiritual dynamic in each one of them as well. Last week, Pastor Farrell introduced us to the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. If you missed that message, you can go to bridgechurch.cc or you can email us. We'll be glad to send you the manuscript. And the manuscript of this message is available as well. Just uh, email us. We'll be thrilled to make it available to you. Today we continue with verses 14 and 15. So let's lean in and let's understand two more elements of the armor. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Stand firm, therefore, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. How many of you see two elements in that? Shod your feet with what? The gospel of peace. In addition to that, doing what? You guys need to understand something about me. The quieter you are, the more I think you're not tracking with me, which means I have to explain it some more, which means we'll still be here when second service arrives. So, what are the two elements? The gospel of peace and the shield of faith. Let's get into it. Let's look at the where first. From a historical and physical perspective, what are we talking about? Obviously, it's critical when soldiers go into battle that they have all of the equipment that they need, but their footwear is just as important as any other aspect of, of, of their armor. In, in this context, those Roman soldiers were fighting in a hot desert, sandy, rocky kind of region. So if they didn't have the right footwear, there's no way that they could stand. There's no way that they could fight because their feet couldn't withstand the heat of the sand. How many of you love to go to the beach on a hot day barefooted? You've done that, right? I'm a wuss. I just can't do it. I get down there and I, I, I put one pinky in the sand, buddy, and I'm bolting. I'm running. There's no way I'm taking a stand on this thing. I got to have some footwear or I can't stand it. Now, let me ask you a spiritual question. How many of you believe that the sands of our culture are both hot and shifting a lot these days? Because here's what I learned when I go down to the beach and I get into that sand and I think it don't realize how hot it is until I get into it and then I start to move and I start to run, the, the sand shifts under my feet. And before you know it, I find myself going deeper into this hot sand and it's burning the tops of my feet too. There's no way. My feet's? 
It's amazing what you say under the anointment. You know, just now it's amazing what you say. You're getting the drift, though? You're getting the, the picture of what I'm trying to say to you? We're living in a day when culture is shifting around us all of the time, and yet we are called to stand. We're living in a day when Christianity uh, does not have the popularity that it once had, but I need you to understand something. Men and women, boys and girls, you need to understand something. The gospel of peace is true whether it is popular or not. The gospel of peace, that's worth repeating. You might even want to tweet that. The gospel of peace is true whether it is popular or not. But here's what you've got to do in order to put this gospel of peace footwear on to prepare for battle. Here's what you've got to do. You cannot play for both sides. You cannot fight for both armies without becoming a casualty in this war. You've got to make peace with the gospel. You understand what the gospel is, right? You understand that word? It simply says that a loving God made you on purpose with a purpose, and that purpose was to be the recipient of his love, to be uh, in fellowship with him. He made you on purpose with a purpose to accomplish amazing things in his name in this world. But there's a problem. He wanted to be in fellowship with us, but he is a holy God, and we are an unholy people. True? Come on, you don't even live up to your own standards, much less God's. Come on. Yeah, we're an unholy people, and so there's a great chasm that is created between us and God, and that chasm has to be closed somehow because our sinfulness has earned a wage, and that wage is, anybody know? It's death. So here is God who came to bring life and life in all that's fullness through his son, Jesus Christ, and here's sinful man saying, I want that life but I keep sinning. What am I going to do? I guess I'll just have to die. And into that fray, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, steps up and says, what if I pay the price for his sin and his sin and her sin and his sin and her sin and for every generation across all of the generations, if I pay for every gossip and every lie and every murder and every rape, what if I pay for them all? Would that be adequate? And the father, brokenhearted, said, yes, son, that would be adequate because you are the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Yes, that would be adequate. You could be the one who dies in everybody's place. The price for sin would be satisfied. Jesus came, took on the form of a man. He took on the form of a servant. He served all the way to death, and he died the worst possible death, death by crucifixion, all to say, I love you this much. That's the gospel truth. Whether it is popular or not, you need to understand if you don't understand that while America may be struggling these days with the concept of being a Christian nation, Christianity is not struggling in the world. Are you aware of the fact that more people have come to know Jesus Christ since World War II than in the 1900 years before World War II? That on average, 355,000 people commit their lives to Jesus Christ somewhere in the world every day? That's, yeah, that's worth celebrating. America may be struggling right now, but Christianity is exploding on the planet. 
And I have the privilege through the Acts 2 Network to go and see what God is doing all over the world. But I haven't given up on America yet. I haven't given up on our great nation. But what we're going to have to do if we're going to win this war in our nation is we're going to have to decide, I'm going to make peace with the gospel in my life. I will not keep playing for both sides. Let me illustrate it this way for you. Imagine that you're a Carolina fan, but State calls one day and says, okay, full ride scholarship, come play basketball for us. And you say, whoa, full ride, man, I guess. Okay, I will. So you go to State and you just decide to hide your Carolina-ness. I'm going to start fights right here in the room. I know I am, but... And so you practice with the team, and, and everybody's excited that you're on the team, and, and the time comes for the, for the first big game, and you run into the arena, and the place is going crazy. It's Carolina versus State, and they're chanting your name. You run out there in all your red glory, and you're just excited about what's going on. And, and when you start to do a jump shot, somebody sees your socks or Carolina blue. And somebody said, he's got Carolina blue socks on. What just happened in the arena? Chaos broke loose. Everybody hates you now. The Carolina fans are coming after you for wearing the red, and the state fans are coming after you for wearing the blue, and you're all alone. What are the odds you're going to survive that event? Now lean in. There's a real war going on for the souls of men. And if when you're with this group, you're a Jesus follower, and when you're with this group, you're buying into the culture, what are the odds you're going to survive that war? Some of you came here specifically this morning to hear this white-haired preacher say, it's time to stop trying to play for both sides. It's time to take a stand. It's time to draw a line in the sand. It's time to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm making peace with the gospel. I'm going to accept what Jesus Christ did for me. I'm going to embrace his sacrifice, and I'm going to say, I in turn will give you my very life. I am yours. I am all in. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Whatever the culture says, whether it is popular or not, is irrelevant because I've decided which army I'm fighting for. Hear me, guys. You will never win the war in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your health, in your eternity until you settle which side you're on, regardless of what the culture ultimately says. But when you're at peace with God, when you settle this thing and you know whose you are, you know that God loves you and you have a love relationship with him, it's like putting on the right shoes in a harsh terrain and no matter what's going on around you, no matter how the sand shifts around you, you are stable, you are firm because your foundation is the truth of God's word that has stood the test of time and will always stand the test of time. And you don't have to worry about what's going to happen because you already know what's going to happen. Everything's working together to the day that it will come under the administration of Jesus Christ. And you've chosen sides. You with me? So get the picture. 
We're putting on our armor one piece at a time. Last week, Pastor Farrell told us that the belt of truth was personal integrity, so we're putting on this belt, and we're saying, I will not be a hypocrite. I will be sincere. I will be for real. If I mess up, I will own up. I'm going to have personal integrity. The breastplate of righteousness guards my heart, and it says, I will live a righteous life. I will live a holy life before God, and I will trust him to make up the difference between what I'm capable of and what he's called me to. Now we're putting on our gospel shoes, and we're at peace with God. We're almost ready for battle. You ready for the next element of the armor? Here we go, verse 16. In addition to all of this, in addition to that belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel shoes, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, you see lots of different pictures of Roman shields uh, when you watch TV or movies or that kind of stuff. And there were lots of different kind of shields that were available. Some were metal, some were not. But typically, in this day, shields were very large, so they covered almost the entire soldier, and they were often made of some hard wood with several layers of, of leather that had been soaked in water stretched over the shields, so that when the enemy shot flaming arrows, they would come and they would stick into the shield, but the wet leather would extinguish those arrows, and then all the soldier had to do was break the arrow off and keep fighting. So the simple truth is this is what helped them to, uh, to withstand flaming arrows coming at them. So what does that mean for us in the spirit? For us, they're not shields of wood or leather. They're shields of what? Faith. So what's faith? What's faith all about? Hear me. It is your faith that shields you from the darts that Satan throws at you. Let me say that one again. That might be worth saying again. It is your faith that shields you from the darts that Satan throws at you. So let's explain that one. Let's unpack that one. Let's make sure we understand what that one's all about. Hear me, Satan is your enemy. He's determined to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible gives him lots of names. Father of lies, accuser of the brethren, slanderer are some of the favorites. So get the picture. Act it out with me. Sit up straight. Come on, sit up. Everybody sit up straight. You can do this. Sit up straight. Come on. Here we go. We're going to put our armor on. Here we go. All right, so put on your belt of truth. Come on. Let's oh, act silly. It's all right. You can do this. It's the bridge. We, we do this here. So, okay, put on my belt of truth. Raise your chest up. I got my breastplate of righteousness on. Guard your heart. Got your shoes on. Come on, I want to see some movement out here. Get some shoes on. We got our shoes on. We're ready to go, okay? And you're ready to go to battle. I am his and he is mine. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Raise your chest, square your shoulders. You're ready for battle. And about the time you get to that place, Satan comes along and throws one of his fiery darts. And he says, who do you think you are? I know what you did last summer. I know what you did when you messed up and you think nobody else saw, but I saw. I know what you acted like when somebody did something to you and the way you responded. I know who you really are. Who do you think you are to do battle against me? And before you know it, you find yourself shrinking back. Yeah, I know. Oh, man, how's your day? I don't know. The devil's beat me up pretty bad today. And it's amazing how many Christians give glory to the devil all the time. Hello. By saying, yeah, he's doing his job really well today. He's got me today. 
And you wilt. Why? Because you don't have a defense for that. Yes, you do. And what is the defense for that? It's your faith. So what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. So put that in context of what we're talking about today. To win the battle against the, fathers, the father of lies, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, you have to believe you are who Jesus says you are whether you can see it, feel it, touch it, or not by faith. You have to believe you are who Jesus says you are, whether you can see it, feel it, touch it, or not, by faith, because faith is being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real, even if we haven't arrived at that place And that faith becomes the strength for you. So, that context, let me ask you the question, who are you? I mean, who are you? If I ask Pastor Andy uh, this morning, who are you? He might say, well, I'm Andy Stovall. And I would say, well, no, that's the handle you go by. Who are you? Well, I'm, uh, I'm the campus pastor of the Princeton campus of the bridge. No, that, that's what you do. That's your calling. That's not who you are. Oh, um, well, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father. Okay, cool, that's great, yeah, but that's not who you are. That's your role in the family. Well, let's see, I'm, a, I'm six foot tall, 200 none of your business pounds. Okay, great, those are your physical dimensions. They're not who you are. Spirit just told me one of you needs to lean into that for a minute. Those are your physical dimensions, not who you are. One of the great tragedies that I see across the land is Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who if you ask them who they are, they will answer you in terms of some event that happened in their past. Well, I was robbed the other day. I'm a victim of robbery. I'm divorced. I'm damaged goods now. I had to file bankruptcy a few years ago. I am a financial failure. Before you know it, they're telling you who they are in terms of what happened to them, maybe based on some of their own choices, maybe not. But that's not who you are. You are not the sum of what you do or where you live or what your role in the family is or what size you happen to be, tall or short or skinny or fat or whatever terms we want to use. That's not who you are. Once you make peace with the gospel, once you step across the line of faith and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, here's who you are. You are a child of the King of kings. You are a child of the Lord of lords. And you can just simply say, who am I? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a king's kid. That's who I am. And you start to believe that because this shield is a shield of faith, whether you actually feel that way right now or not. 
1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, it is anyone in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, what does that term mean? It means you've made peace with the gospel. It means that Christ is the center of your life. It means that you've established him as your Lord and your Savior. If you are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So from that point forward, from the point that you make peace with the gospel, you move forward defining yourself by what he says about you rather than what Satan would have you believe about yourself. So let me ask you again, who are you? The Apostle Peter gives us a pretty good description in chapter 2 of his first epistle. lays it out very quickly. In fact, he gives us four descriptive phrases from, uh, from that epistle. And what I want to do with you in the time we've got left is I want to challenge you to learn them. I want to challenge you to hear them. I want, you to challenge, I want to challenge you to receive them. I want to challenge you to believe them. I want them to become like a mantra in your heart. And so when Satan throws those fiery darts at your shield, you'll have the shield of faith ready. You, you'll, you'll know who you are in Christ. So that no matter what he throws at you, you've got the shield. You ready for that? Would that be helpful to you? Anybody here ever feel attacked by the evil one? Anybody here? The rest of you, God bless you. Thanks for coming. You can go home now. You don't need this. But those of us who have to fight this battle, nobody's leaving, I notice. There are four descriptors in this uh, first epistle, chapter 2, of who we are in Christ. Let me describe them for you as quickly as I can. Number one, in Christ I am acceptable. In Christ I am acceptable. He says in verse 4, you are chosen by God. Can, can we just be honest with each other? We're among friends, okay? Can we just be honest with each other and say that we spend most of our lives trying to be accepted? How many of you remember being teenagers and the stupid things you did? I know some of you are teenagers doing those stupid things. Some of you are 40 and you're still acting like a teenager doing those stupid things. And some of you can barely remember that you were a teenager somewhere in the way. But wherever you are in that journey, it was amazing the stupid things that we did. We would find a group we wanted to be a part of, and then we would do whatever we had to do in order to be accepted by that group. And nothing really changes. I saw... Not too long ago, on the police blotter, true story, police blotter, two men were arrested in Little Rock, Arkansas. Did you see this one? They walked into a Walmart, stole uh, women's thong underwear, went into the men's room, stripped down, put on the thongs, and walked out of the store. By the time they got to the parking lot, the police were there to arrest them, pick them up, and they arrested them, and they put them in the back seat of the police car. And when they got them, they said, why in the world did you do this? And here was their answer. I mean, they were busted for shoplifting, indecent exposure, just a whole bunch of stuff. They were in big trouble for a long time. Why on earth did you do this? And they said, well, our friends triple dog dared us. Now, Kim read that story, and she said to me, I wonder how that works. I mean, did they say, I dare you, and, we, and they said, no way? And then they said, well, I double dare you, and said, no, 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 uh-uh. Did they say, I triple dare you? Oh, no. I triple dog dare you. Oh, man, you got me now. I got to go. I mean, how does that work? I don't know how it works. I just know that people do the craziest things 
just to be accepted. We love that feeling of being accepted. Can I get a witness in the house? One of the greatest days for Kim was the day I accepted her proposal of marriage. That was... (laughs) Sorry, darling. Truth is, I begged her for months. She finally took pity on me 39 years ago and said yes. So the first thing Peter says is, you are chosen by God. Now, that ought to raise your chest up a notch. That ought to give you a sense that that I've I've got some armor here. I've got a shield here that'll work when Satan comes because Christ has accepted me, no conditions involved. Unconditionally, he says, I choose you. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It's another reason I love the bridge. You see, you see our slogan out there, a place where you can belong before you believe. Are we saying it doesn't matter what you believe? Of course not. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that we accept you just the way Jesus does, which is just the way you are. And then we'll help you to believe what Jesus says about who he is. Yes, so say it with me. Hear yourself saying it. In Christ, I am acceptable. Say it. In Christ, I am acceptable. Raise your chin up when you say it. In Christ, I am acceptable because you're sending a message to the enemy of your soul. I'm taking up the shield of faith. The second descriptor that Peter gives us is I am valuable. In Christ, I am valuable. Verse 4, he said, you are precious to God. Look at somebody and say, I'm precious. Just look at somebody right now. Just turn to them and say, I am precious. Come on. You guys are a lot more shy than I thought you'd be. Come on. So let me ask you, how much are you worth? I mean, if I ask you to take a piece of paper right now and write it down, what would you say? Let me ask you another question. How many of you were thinking about your bank account and your assets? Have you figured out yet that net worth and self-worth have absolutely nothing to do with each other? Have you figured out yet that your worth, your value, has nothing to do with material stuff at all? Don't ever allow yourself to be confused with valuables and your value as a person. So what determines the value of something? Ultimately, what determines the value of something? There's a couple of things that comes to mind for me. One is uh, value is determined by what somebody's willing to, to pay for it. Kim and I have learned that lesson in real practical terms in recent days. We, uh, we just recently sold our home in Virginia and are in the process of moving back to, to Goldsboro, and the bridge is going to be our home, and we're excited about being part of the ministry here. But, yeah, that's exciting stuff. We're thrilled. But one of the big decisions we had to make before we put the house on the market is how much are we going to sell it for? Well, my first thought, because I've been a builder most of my life, my first thought was, well, let's see, what would it cost to build this house today? That's its value, right? No. Its value base is based on totally, any of you in real estate? Its value is based totally on what similar houses are selling for in the area. In other words, its value is based on what somebody is willing to pay for it, regardless of what it would actually cost to build it. I heard just this week that, the, that a Mickey Mantle rookie card sold last week for $401,000. Who decided that a piece of cardboard was more valuable than my house? How did we become a society like that? I don't know, but I just know it tells me 
that my value is largely dependent on what somebody is willing to pay. So let me ask you the question again. How much are you worth? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. You were bought not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You're worth what someone was willing to pay for you. That someone was Jesus Christ. And every time you hear somebody mention Calvary, every time you hear somebody mention the cross, every time you hear somebody mention what Jesus did for you, let it be a reminder that you're worth this much to the God of the universe. And if that doesn't do anything for you, it ought to make you raise your chest up a little bit and say, in Christ, I am valuable. Second way that we figure out what value is based on is usefulness. You know, it's very useful that I'm going to pay a lot for it. If it's not of much use, then I'm willing not, not really going to pay much for it. Well, how does that apply to us? Look at 1 Peter 2, 5. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house through Jesus Christ. That tells me that God is, is, is a contractor doing a construction project, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. If you read the rest of the passage, he's the cornerstone that defines the house. He sets plumb. He sets square. He sets the strength of the foundation. He's the cornerstone, but you and I are the living stones that make up that house. You can talk all you want about me and Jesus got a good thing going. You can talk all you want about I am filled with the Holy Spirit, but the Bible is very clear. The Holy Spirit doesn't just live in you as an individual. He lives in us as a body. We are the habitation of the Holy Spirit. And that's why quite often we can come to a place like this on a day like this and sing a song like, Lord, I want more of your presence, and we can feel his presence sweep through this place, and we can feel the hair standing up on the back of our necks, and we go, wow, I think something's going on here. Why? Because you're one of the living stones that's making up the house. That's the habitation. You are the house where Jesus Christ lives. That makes me feel valuable. That makes me feel useful when I recognize that, that I am part of the house. So when Satan comes along and whispers to me, it's all over for you, you're worthless now. It's all over for you. You can look at him square in the eye and say, ha, ha, you don't understand because in Christ I am valuable to God. Jesus paid for me in the highest terms his own life, and he's using me in conjunction with all of my brothers and sisters to build the house where he lives. In Christ I am acceptable. Say it with me. In Christ I am acceptable. In Christ, I am valuable. Come on. In Christ, I am acceptable. In Christ, I am valuable. Number three, in Christ, I am capable. Verse five, he says, you are a holy priesthood. Now, I know, depending on your background, that can be kind of scary or confusing. I'm not a priest. <laughs> no, I don't wear one of those collar things. And no, I'm not a priest. But Peter is saying that there are a couple of things that priests in Old Testament days uh, we're capable of doing that, frankly, every believer in New Testament times is capable of doing. First of all, they could relate to God for people. Secondly, they could represent God to people. They could relate to God for people. 
and they could represent God to people. You know what I'm talking about. As priests, they had the privilege to go to God anytime and to talk to Him. They could pray. They could talk to Him. They could hear from Him. They could bring the people's needs to Him on their behalf. That was the job of the Old Testament priest. And what is Peter saying is that now you are capable of doing that yourself. In any given moment, you can talk to the God of the universe. You don't have to invite Him to come. He's already there. We didn't have to come here this morning and say, Lord, we invite you to come. He was already here. He was in the car when you had the fight on the way to church. I mean, he was there. Come on. He's here. All we have to do is make our awareness. All we have to do is focus, recognize that he's here, which means we can talk to him, we can commune with him, we can complain to him, we can cry to him, we can celebrate him, we can praise him. And we are in his presence. And not just for our sake, we can bring one another's needs. The Bible says where two or three agree as touching anything, it's done because I'm there in the midst of them. And so you can pray for someone and they be healed. You don't have to go get Pastor Farrell. He'd be glad to come. But you don't have to get him. All you have to do is say, hey, come here, let's pray. I get a call every now and then. I've had several of them through the years where somebody would call me and say, Pastor Jim, I met somebody in the mall today. I met somebody at work today. I met somebody in the grocery store today, and I talked to them for a little while, and I believe if you'll go talk to them, they'll give their lives to Jesus. My response is always the same. Well, why didn't you talk to them? No, I don't think I can. You're capable of making a difference in the lives of the people around you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's taken up residence in you. Did I mention that? Did did I mention that somewhere in there? He's taken up residence in you. That means he will always make up the difference between what you're capable of and what the need calls on, and therefore you are capable in Christ to meet whatever circumstance. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. That's worth celebrating. What am I saying? I'm trying to make this really practical for you because when you start to believe those truths for real and Satan starts throwing those powerful fiery darts at you saying, who do you think you are? You can never do that. You can never step out. You can never share your faith in the community. You can never lay hands on somebody and pray for them to be healed and expect anything to happen. You can never join a ministry at an amazing church like the bridge. You can never be a part of of a world-changing kind of group of people. You could never. You are not. You, You just look at him and say, whoa, wait a minute. You don't understand something. Mr. Devil, in Christ I am acceptable, in Christ I am valuable, and in Christ I am capable of doing everything God calls on me to do. Some time ago, I took a group of people, actually our small group, from the church in Chesapeake, Virginia that Kim and I started and led for almost 25 years. We went to the Chesapeake General Hospital one Sunday morning, got permission from the head of of nursing, and we went to the 15 nurses' stations um, and uh, and brought a little care package. We just simply, you know, there's some power bars in there, and there was some gas cards and some water bottles, and and we just walked up to the nurses' station. I had this group of people with me, my my small group, and uh, we walked up, and I said, hi, how are you? Can I have a moment of your time? She said, sure, what's up? I said, we just wanted to give you a gift to say thank you for what you do. Huh? No, I'm serious. There's just some water and some power bars here. We just want to say thank you for what you do. Nobody's ever done anything like that before. Why would you do that? We just, we're followers of Jesus Christ. We think this is how he wants us to live. We just came to say thank you for what you do. And the nurse said, 
you're serious? What's in here? And she started digging around. She said, oh, this is so cool. And then I said, there's a few of these might be for some patients. Like there's some gas cards in here you might want to give to a patient's family that, that you think might be blessed. That's at your discretion, whatever you want to do. This is just our way of saying thank you. And she said, whoa, wait a minute. Stop. Wait, wait right now. And she started calling down the hall to the other nurses and, and the, the nurse's aides and the orderlies and everybody. And she got the whole group. She said, come here. Come here, people. And she got every one of them around. And she said, these guys came to say thank you to us. And they all just kind of stood there going, And one of them finally said, well, would you pray for us? And I said, man, we'd be honored. And so we got in a circle and we joined hands. And we prayed for them. And then we went on our way to the next nurse's station. Well, on our way to the next nurse's station, I looked at Katie who was beside me. And I said, you just saw what I did, didn't you? She said, yeah. I said, okay, it's your turn. Understand, Katie had just accepted the Lord. She was scheduled to be water baptized the next month. She hadn't even been baptized yet. So it's your turn. Uh, okay. We walked up to the second nurse's station, and she walked up. She put the box up there, and she said, we just came to say thank you. and Got almost the same response that I did at the first station. And people came around, and, and when, when they got to that place where they said, would you pray for us? She said, you're on, Pastor Jim. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is something just outside of your comfort zone that God is calling some of you to do right now, and it will make an eternal difference in the lives of the people that you do it for. And when Satan says you can't, look at him and say, you're a liar, you're a slanderer, you're the father of lies. In Christ, I am capable of doing everything he calls me to do. In Christ, Yes. It's time for us to stop cowering. It's time for us to stop hiding. It's time for us to take territory. It's time for us to restore the church's voice in the world. And the only way that's going to happen is if each one of us that make up the body of Christ raise up our shoulders and stick out our chests and we say, in Christ I am acceptable no matter what you say, Mr. Devil. In Christ I am valuable no matter what the culture says about crazy Christians. In Christ I am capable of doing everything he put me on this planet to do. I can make an eternal difference in my life and in the lives of the people that I encounter day by day by day. And when you actually begin to believe those truths for real, they become a powerful shield against the fiery darts that Satan would try to throw at you. But there's one more. Because here's the problem. We're human. Somebody pitched themselves. You feel that? Does that hurt? We're human. We're still made of flesh. And every now and then we get some doubts. Okay, I wish I was acceptable. I don't feel very acceptable. I wish I was valuable. I don't feel very valuable. I wish I was capable. I don't feel very capable. And every time we do, guess what we just did? We just lowered our shield of faith so that Satan can get a dart in. And before you know it, we mess up. Before you know it, we do something we shouldn't have done or we fail to do something we should have done. And before you know it, we start feeling guilty. And that just gives Satan a foothold to begin to say, see, I told you, that's who you really are. So there's a fourth description you need to understand. It's in verse 10 of 1 Peter 2. In Christ, I am forgivable. 
in Christ I am forgivable. He says, you have received mercy. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I am he who blots out your sins for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. For whose sake does he forgive you? For his sake. Understand, remember, he made you for the purpose of having relationship with him. He made you for the purpose of having a love relationship with him, to have fellowship with him, and our sinfulness creates a gap. So when we sin and there's a gap created, God says, whoa, come, I will, I'll forgive that. Just give me a chance. If you will confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful to forgive. Why, for your sake, because he feels sorry for you? No, for his sake, because he wants to be in relationship with you. So why do I say that? Why is this so important? Because God is probably more ready to forgive you than you are to forgive yourself. And quite often, the biggest problem we have that holds us back from being everything that God made us to be and accomplishing everything God put us on this planet to accomplish is that we're still living in the guilt and the shame of some stupid thing we did last day, last week, last year, last decade, and Satan's got a hold on us. Hear me, in Christ, you are forgivable. Let him forgive you. Right now, in Jesus' name, receive his forgiveness. Let it wash over you. The Bible says he remembers your sin no more. <laughs> One passage says he puts it into the sea of forgetfulness. Pastor Jim paraphrased, and puts up a no fishing sign. So quit going fishing. Quit digging that old mess up again and again and again and again and again because all you're doing is letting the fiery darts of Satan pierce your soul, hold you back from everything God made you to be. God says, I accept you just the way you are. I love you too much for you to stay the way you are. I want you to grow, but I accept you just the way you are. Because in Christ, you are acceptable. I value you because in Christ, you are valuable. I trust you with my work because in Christ, you are capable and I forgive you because Jesus Christ covers every sin of every generation of all time and you can walk under that covering. I got to close, but let's make it real practical. And I'll just throw this in. You can tell Pastor Farrell I said that. When he says in closing, it means absolutely nothing, but it gives you hope. When I say in closing, I mean we're going to wrap this up. You tell him I said that. I'll have some fun. There are two simple but profound steps. If you really want to put on your shoes and shield, not just understanding, remember we talked at the beginning of this whole conversation, it's not just about learning about this stuff, it's actually doing this stuff. So the two simple, profound steps that you've got to take if you're going to put on these shoes and this shield, first of all, you've got to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You've got to say, I am yours. Bring him your past. Bring him your hurts. Bring him your failures. He accepts you just the way you are. But don't stop there. Bring him your future. Don't just bring him your past. Bring him your gifts, your talents, your abilities, 
Bring him your hopes, your dreams. Bring all of that to Jesus Christ and say, this is all yours. I bring an offering to you, Lord. As a thanks for what you've done for me, I am the offering. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. We don't use that word Lord. We don't have lords and ladies walking around these days, but you know what it means. It just means who gets to be in charge, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the one who's actually in charge and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued from yourself and saved from the onslaught of Satan who would bring you down, bring you death. Hear me. I'm not talking to you when I tell you to take this mantra in Christ, I am acceptable, I am valuable, I am capable, I am forgivable. I'm not talking self-help, humanistic, I am the captain of my own destiny, junk. You are not the captain of your own destiny. You can't even figure out what you want for lunch today, and you think you are the captain of your own destiny? Give me a break. Jesus is the captain of your destiny. And he has a purpose higher than anything you could dare to dream or think or ask. If you just simply say yes to him. In my heart, I've said a long time ago, in Christ I am acceptable. In Christ I am valuable. In Christ I am capable. In Christ I am forgivable. And every time Satan has thrown darts at me, I find myself going back to those simple truths. This is who I am in Jesus Christ. Second truth then is to repattern your thinking according to the Word of God. You, you accept Him, you put Him in charge, and then you start changing the way you think about yourself and about your world on the basis of what He says, on the basis of what the Bible says. Pastor Farrell will be talking to you next week and talking to us next week about the helmet of salvation, which includes your thought life, but for now, Simply hear these words, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but be changed within by what? A new way of thinking. What's the new way? I am not the sum of my life experiences. I am not what size I am. I am not where I live. I am not how much I have in the bank. I am not what my role in the family is. I am not the sum of any of those things. I am who Jesus says I am because I've given him my life. Because I am in Christ, I am. You want to say it or you want me to? I am acceptable. I am valuable. I am capable. I am forgivable. In Christ, I can put on the belt of truth. I can put on the breastplate of righteousness. I can put on this footwear called I am at peace with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can take up the shield of faith. And one day, I can look back on the one and only life that God has given me. And I can say, wow, look what God did with my humble offering. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as I look across this room and I see the faces of men and women, young and old, 
And I think about my own life. I understand the struggles. I understand the journey to do life in this victorious kind of way that we're talking about because circumstances can be hard. Satan is good at his job. But help us today, Lord, to put on these two elements of the armor in a simple, quiet prayer that says, no matter what my circumstances are, I've given my life, all of it, good, bad, ugly, past and future, I've given it all to Jesus. I am his. He is mine. I can stand firm in that truth. And I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to stop thinking of myself in a defeated kind of way. I'm going to start recognizing that because I am in Christ, because of him and what he's done, and because of who he is, I am acceptable. I don't have to struggle for acceptance. You already accept me. I am valuable. I don't have to feel worthless. I'm worth the very blood of Jesus Christ. I am capable. Whatever you call me to do, whatever I feel short of, I can trust your Holy Spirit will make up the difference. And you will amaze me by what you've done through me. And because I am in Christ, I'm forgivable. Yeah, I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. I'm going to fail to get it right. But even then, all i got to do is call on you. You'll give me a fresh start again and again and again for your sake. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and nobody looking around, we're coming to a close here, but I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. There'll be some people here in the altars who would love to pray with you this morning before you leave, but at the very least, would you pray a quiet prayer now? You can do it in your own words if you want. Go something like this. Jesus, I am yours. Drawing a line in the sand, putting on my footwear, I'm making peace with the gospel. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And in you, I'm taking up my shield of faith. Because of that, I know who I am, acceptable, valuable, capable, forgivable. And I will walk out of this building today prepared for battle. Satan, give me your best shot. I know who I am in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.